Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be tuning in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites. Um, and I apologize, it's a little bit late today, but that's okay. We're getting there. So I'm very uh, excited to be sharing this with you. In today's episode, we will conclude the book of Luke as we continue reading through the scriptures. And so tomorrow we'll begin the book of John. But let's finish up Luke's gospel here. And we are concluding with Luke chapter 23 and 24 today in episode 307 of our Bible Bites. In 23 and 24, we have the actual crucifixion of Jesus and his resurrection. Those are the two main topics of this. We see in 23, where we begin with the chief priests and the scribes, they have condemned Jesus. They want him dead. And so they take him to Pilate for trial and for execution. And Pilate says, I can't find any fault in him. Uh, so trial, Pilate tries to make him Herod's problem. In other words, he's talking to him and he says, I find no fault, but the Jews get everybody stirred up. Uh, and they tell him, well, he's stirring up the people, you know, teaching from Galilee to this place. And so when he hears about Galilee, he kind of uh, gets it in his mind. Then he thinks, well, maybe I can get this hot potato off my hands and throw him to Herod and let him be Herod's problem. And uh, so he sends him up to Herod. Well, if you'll remember, we read in Luke chapter 9, verse 9, that Herod had been longing to see him. Um, we find out beginning in Luke chapter 9 that when Herod hears about him, he wants to see him. But notice here we are told in verse 8 of chapter 23, Now when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. So, in other words, Herod thought he would be an amusement. He thought he would do one of these miracles like a little trick or something, you know, like a court jester would perform for Herod. He may have thought and expected the same kind of thing for G from Jesus, and Jesus would have none of that. The things of God are holy, and they are not to be used as if they were toys or amusements or some magic potion or formula. None of that. Jesus will have none of that. And so he says that Herod, talking about Herod in verse 9, then he questioned him, talking about Jesus, with many words, but Jesus, he answered him nothing. Jesus is not going to play that kind of game when Herod's there after amusement. Well, Herod didn't like it too much. And so, um, so Herod ends up sending him back and, um, he, you know, they accused him, they mocked him, they put a robe on him and all of that. And then he sent him back to Pilate. So now he's back at, at Pilate's, uh, feet and he's got, Pilate's got to deal with his, with Jesus. So Pilate's decision, he finds no fault with Jesus and he, cert he says even that Jesus, that he has done nothing deserving of death. So Pilate's trying to get him out of dying. You know, Pilate's trying to save, his, uh, save him from death. And this was probably Pilate's truest statement of all 
um, when he said in verse 15, he's talking about them bringing Jesus to him and how he's examined him and he finds no fault in him and Herod examined him and he sent him back. He couldn't find anything. And he says at the end of verse 15 of chapter 23, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. That may be the truest statement of all that Pilate ever said. But in fact, he was going to die because the Bible had taught us from the Old Testament pattern of sacrifice that the innocent dies for the guilty. So Jesus knew he was going to die. So Pilate's trying to get, get out of it. But the uh, chief priests, the Jewish rulers that are rejecting him, they keep it up. They keep going back and forth and they're, they're not satisfied. So they say, give us Barabbas instead. So they ask for this murderer instead of Jesus. And they call on, on Pilate to crucify Jesus. So in verse 22 through 25, Jesus is now set to be crucified because of the will of this mob. Actually, however, though, he submitted knowing it was the Father's will, his Father's will, because it was the only way to redeem mankind. It was the only way to save you and I. And so Jesus submitted to the Father's will and willingly heads for the cross. He's in a wearied physical state, so they end up getting Simon the Cyrene to carry his cross part of the way up, up to Golgotha. And imagine what it was like when Simon the Cyrene, who was there with his two children, Rufus and, and, uh, Rufus and Alexander, excuse me, his sons were with him. And they were there because it was Passover. Jews from everywhere had to come to Jerusalem for Passover to, to kill the lambs and to celebrate the Passover and the uh, Unleavened Bread Feast. And so Simon the Cyrene is there with his sons. Imagine his encounter with Jesus when he bends down and takes the bloody cross from the bloody back of our precious Lord. Maybe their eyes met for a, for a moment. I don't know, but I believe it probably became an encounter that Simon and his boys would never forget. We see also on the way to the cross at Calvary that there's women mourning about Jesus and lamenting for him. And he says, don't mourn for me, but rather mourn for yourselves, mourn for the people of the the Jewish people and all of that. And he speaks a prophetic warning actually of the end of days. And we see that uh, mentioned again in Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. Some of that is actually prophesied for that time period. So in verse 32 through 46, we see Jesus' crucifixion and given in the details that Luke chooses to write for us. Now, as I've mentioned before, you have to, you really have to take all four Gospels together when it comes to a certain event that they're all mentioning. 
Um, you need to really study all of the accounts together to get the full picture because each of them are going to focus on certain elements and certain points, um, not, to, not to contradict one another, but just because they're looking at it from different angles and they have different purposes in their writing and in their author's uh, audience uh, who they're writing to. So Luke is telling us a few of the details about this crucifixion of Jesus and the two criminals that were uh, crucified with him. And notice Jesus' first cry was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I just want to direct your attention to Leviticus chapter four, th uh, at chapters 4 through 6, all three of those chapters, because there was promised atonement that would be released and the sinner would be forgiven when certain conditions were met. And I believe that's the crux of Jesus' first cry, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You will see a certain phrase repeated in Leviticus 4, 5, and 6 um, over and over again. And it ties to this first cry of Jesus from the cross. Now I've taught that in further detail in the Holy Week special that I did entitled the uh, Jesus seven last words his cries from the cross so if you want to look at that and listen to that that will give you some more in-depth teaching on that and an explanation but there is a tie there with that also it fulfills many scriptures this crucifixion of Jesus uh, key being Psalm 22 which is called the crucifixion Psalm Isaiah 53 and Isaiah, I mean, I'm sorry, Psalm 69. Jesus was crucified with two thieves hanging beside him, two criminals. And there were mockers there as well. And you're, uh, you can read here of how they mock him and they talk about, well, if you're the Savior, save yourself and us too and all of that. And they're mocking him. They're not believing in him. But one thief does. And that thief is saved that very day. And I want to point out this about that. He was saved by faith alone. He was a murderous, rebellious thief, criminal, hanging on the cross with Jesus. He was not coming down from that cross. He was fixing to die there. He was not able to do anything whatsoever. He was not able to commit any work whatsoever to earn any form of salvation. Salvation was extended to him by faith alone, and that is the crux of the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation in Yeshua, Jesus the Messiah. It is entirely for every single person by faith alone, faith in the finished atoning work that Jesus Christ wrought on his cross on that hill that day. And we can see that very clearly with this thief that was saved truly and sincerely by faith alone. Then we see Jesus crying his last cry. Now, ultimately, he cried seven different things from the cross. And if you look at all four of the Gospels, you will see all, of, all seven of them recorded in the various Gospels. And um, you can find out, like I said, more about that in that teaching that I did for the Holy Week, the cries from the cross, seven last words of Jesus.
Here in this final cry, he is committing himself to God for vindication, knowing that God is the just judge, and he is the Holy One, the innocent one, dying on behalf of the guilty. He breathes his last, and in that moment, what this centurion has witnessed, it causes him to declare the truth of who Jesus is. In verse 50, and the rest of that chapter teaches us and tells us about the burial of Jesus, and that is also very important, and it fulfills the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, for one thing. Um, it also is part of what the Afikoman represented because the Afikoman at Passover was that broken piece of matzah that would be tucked away and hidden away somewhere for a season to later return. And we'll see that in just a moment. So we find out some details here. Luke gives us a few of the details, as do the other gospel writers, that Joseph of Ramah, which he was from Samuel's birthplace of Ramah, and um, he was a just and honorable man, a Sanhedrinist, but not consenting to Jesus' death. He was also one of those, we're told in the scriptures, that was looking for the redemption in Israel. And if you'll remember back in Luke chapter 2, when we met Anna, the prophetess at uh, Jesus' um, day when he was presented for the redemption of the firstborn and Mary's purification offering there in the temple. We see Anna, and it says that she evangelized. Basically, she went out telling people about him to those who were looking for the redemption in Israel. And so that's clearly what uh, both Nicodemus and Joseph of Ramah, the, the scriptures tell us about both of them. So perhaps their paths crossed, and perhaps they heard that news from Anna. The other Gospels do bring out that Nicodemus did help bury Jesus, uh, so he helped Joseph to do that. And then we learn that there were some women, including Mary of Magdala, that followed to the tomb, and then they left and prepared to anoint him after the high Sabbath was over. Then in chapter 24, we pick up there where these women are coming, and they're bringing the spices that they wanted to anoint the body of Jesus with. This was on resurrection morn, the first day of the week, and it was the morning of first fruits, the Jewish festival of first fruits. And it's interesting because he is also called by Paul the first fruit from the dead or of the dead in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20 and 23. And Jesus was, in fact, the fulfillment of the first fruit feast. In the first eight verses of chapter 24, by looking at all four of the Gospels, you get a fuller picture here. Each one is stressing certain details, and Luke here is really stressing that he is risen. He is uh, not among the dead any longer. Why do you search for the living among the dead? was one of the angel's questions. And Luke also points out the angelic words to these uh, ladies that had come. So we see the women go try to tell the disciples about what's happened. And Luke records for us that Peter goes to the tomb. Now in John's gospel, you'll see that John and Peter both went to the tomb. But for Luke's purposes, he points out about Peter going there. And how, what Peter found. 
Then in verse 13 through 31, we find this uh, about the two on the road to Emmaus, which it appears that Peter may have been one of those, but we are given the name here in Luke of the other one, and that was Cleopas. And they are coming back from Jerusalem because later we read where they returned to Jerusalem. So they had been coming from Jerusalem. And I believe that was for uh, one specific reason would be that they were to present their Omer offerings to the Lord in the temple on the Feast of First Fruits, And they could not, it, their harvest would be, uh, would be cursed and it would be considered robbery of God if they ate of their harvest before they ever presented their harvest omer to the Lord in the temple. So I believe that they're returning from the temple because they've offered their omer there to the Lord. So now they can go home and enjoy their, their um, harvest from then on, their barley. And so this was part of what God required in the Torah for this feast of first fruits. So that's the main reason that I believe they were in Jerusalem. They may have been a part of the um, group that the, the women had come to as well in the upper room or somewhere there in Jerusalem where they were meeting. But notice this, that, you know, they're traveling along and they're talking about the things that have happened. And so this person joins them and it's unbeknownst to them at the time who this was. But he asks them, he says, hey, what are you talking about? And so they tell him and, and uh, you know, they say, are you the only one that doesn't know what's just happened this weekend? And this man that we thought was the Messiah now has been crucified and buried in a tomb. And, um, uh, you know, are you the only one that doesn't know this? And so he's, he's talking and it is in fact Jesus, but he's hidden from their eyes at that moment. They don't recognize him. So, he goes on down and he hears them um, and, you know, he hears them tell their story. And then I want to read you verse 25 through 27. Now, this is very special to me because several years ago, probably a decade or 12 years or so ago, this is what the Lord used to really get me into further and deeper study of the Word of God and especially how it connects to our Jewish roots and the Jewish heritage and customs and uh, language and, and different things in the Scriptures to make the Scriptures truly fit uh, together to understand how they fit together. One, it's one book with one author and one central figure, but this is what the Lord used to do that for me. In verse 25 through 27, then he, meaning Jesus, said to them, these two that he was traveling with, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, ought not the Christ or the Messiah to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now we need to understand that in that day, the scriptures, the only thing that was called the scriptures that they had to read then was in fact what we call the Old Testament and what the Jewish people call the Tanakh. 
It was comprised of three different divisions. They just broke it into three divisions. It's the same books that we have in our English Bibles. It's the same in the, in the Jewish and the Hebrew Bible. But they called them by three sections. There was Moses' writings of the Torah. There was the prophets. And there were what they called the writings, which included the Psalms and the history books, the literature books. So it says, beginning at Moses, which was the Torah, and all the way through the prophets, which in this passage would include both the prophets and the writings. And Jesus makes that clear as we read another place here in this same chapter in a moment. Because the Psalms were also prophetic of him. The, the historical books were too in certain types and shadows. But the Psalms were uh, definitely prophetic as well. For instance, Psalm 22 was called the crucifixion psalm. And Psalm 45, Psalm 69, these are just some of the ones that are prophetic. Psalm 2, Psalm 110, um, for instance, these were prophetic of Messiah. So he begins at Moses and he does a Bible study with them. I would have loved to have sat in on Jesus teaching that Bible study. But he begins at Moses and he goes all the way through the prophets and he teaches them all things concerning himself. That's what did it for me. I saw in that and I went, if Jesus said of the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, that it was all things concerning himself, I went on a hunt to find him. I was like, if Jesus is in the Old Testament, I want to know how and where. And that began the journey that has changed my life forever. And I've never been the same since and never would go back for anything in the world. He is all in the Old Testament and is the central figure of Scripture in its whole from Genesis to Revelation. It is truly one book with one author, that is the Holy Spirit, who moved upon the many different people. And it has one central figure, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Then we come on down, and we find out that he takes this bread, breaks it, blesses it, and breaks it, and gives it to them. And it's at that point that these two men that were on the road to Emmaus, and they were now in Emmaus in their home, and they had invited Jesus in. It's when he did that, that their eyes were open, and they knew who he was, and then he just vanishes from their sight. That bread would have been the matzah, and most likely even the afikoman of the matzah. It was during that time. Maybe it wasn't the afikoman, maybe it was just the matzah. But somehow the Holy Spirit of God connected it to make them realize now that he was that broken matzah. He was and had been the afikoman that had been hidden away in the tomb and now has returned. Just like the afikoman was hidden away for a season and returned later. Jesus is now risen from the dead, just like the angels had said. And I want to read to you verse 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us 
while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? What struck out at me right then was remembering that there was one other person who talked about something, the word of God burning inside of him, and that was Jeremiah. If you go back and you look at Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, you will see that that same word was a fire shut up in his bones. And beloved friend, these two men were now walking and talking with the living word who was giving them understanding in his word of the Old Testament. And it caused their hearts to burn within them. Oh, God's word is like that. It's so rich and so deep and so wonderful. So they returned to, to Jerusalem here. That means they had come away from Jerusalem. Now they got to go back to Jerusalem because now they got to go tell the disciples what they have seen and heard and how Jesus was with them. So then in verse 36 through 39, Jesus appears to these people that were gathered to his disciples here. Now, Thomas was not with them at this time. We find that out later in the book of John. But the other um, 10 were there, and now he could be touched. It's interesting because you contrast that with John chapter 20 when Mary of Magdalene of Magdala sees him, she could not touch him right after his, his resurrection. And he told her why. He said, because I've not yet ascended to my father. But that very same day, later he appears here in Luke. Luke records it. John also records it. He appears to them and he says, come and touch me, handle me and see that it's me. So what had happened in between? There's obviously a difference because Mary couldn't touch him right then. He said, I hadn't ascended to my father. He, he comes a few hours later that very same evening, and he tells them, he says, go ahead and touch me. So obviously, he in between ascended to the father. The purpose is all tied in to the feast of first fruits again, because he ascended to present the Omer offering of himself to God in heaven. And because of that, now his harvest could be blessed. And we'll see that happening. And then he ties that with the fact of the promise of the Father that is now going to come. And that will be the Holy Spirit of God that is going to come upon them. And you can see the division, the three divisions of the, the Old Testament uh, that I was mentioning earlier when he speaks about it in verse 44. And he talks about all things being fulfilled. They must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Because all of those books had messianic prophecies and types and shadows of him in them in that Old Testament. So he goes on and he talks about how it was necessary for him to be crucified, to suffer, so that repentance and remission of sins would be able to be released and preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And he talks to them and he says, you are witnesses of these things. And friend, we are too today in our day if we believe in the Lord and he has saved us and bought us with his blood and redeemed us. We know him. We are also his witnesses in this day.
And then he gives them the promise of the Holy Spirit to come in verse 49. And they've got to tarry for that, but they're going to be endued with power from on high. And then we see the last few verses, his ascension from the Mount of Olives. And Luke will pick up from this very event in his sequel. He's the only author that wrote a sequel. Now, in a sense, you could say that some of the epistles, you have First and Second Corinthians, etc. They're not really sequels to a story, but two different letters written at different times for the same group of people. But Luke ha actually has a sequel to continue the story, and it is called the book of Acts. And we will see in Acts chapter 1 when we get there that Luke picks right back up with this ascension event when he begins the book of Acts. And so tomorrow we'll begin the book of John. Um, Luke and John are two of my favorite gospel writers, although all of the gospels are good, and I do refer to all of them and use all of them together when I'm uh, trying to understand something about Jesus' life and ministry and death and so forth. Um, it is very important to to use everything that Scripture tells us about an event or whatever to be able to truly get the full picture of that. So I trust that these messages are a blessing to you and that you can join us again, Lord willing, for another episode of Bible Bites. God bless you today in Jesus' name.